Today begins a new series in the book of Jonah, the Old Testament book of Jonah. We finished up previously a series on faith and doubt. If you uh, uh, wonder, is doubt part of the life of faith sometimes? Go listen to the series online, download it, podcast it. It's all available on fpcniceville.org. Um, but again, if your state, faith is always so super strong, you don't need it, then don't bother. But, but if you didn't get a chance to be a part of it, you might find an encouragement to you in all seriousness. Our scripture reading comes today from second, first of all, from second Kings, kind of beginning setting some important background. Second Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 25. And then the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 are our scripture readings today. I remind you, this is the word of the living God. Hear it, therefore, with careful appreciation. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Hefer. Then over in the book of Jonah, We read in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord always stands forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, only in your light can we see light. Only with your help can we understand. For these things are spiritually discerned. They are not for the wise of this world. Father, we ask once again that you would help us to understand and apply your word so that the peaceable fruit of righteousness may be yielded in us to your glory. And we ask in Christ's name. And for his sake, amen. Shipmates, this book containing only four chapters, 40 years, and one of the smallest treads in the mighty cable of scriptures. Yet what depths of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What a pregnant lesson to us is this prophet 
What a noble thing is that canticle in the fish's belly. How billow-like and boisterous like a rand. So, Melville said, Herman Melville, as in Moby Dick, perhaps some of you recognized some of that. I know the accent wasn't much, but I tried, okay? Children love hearing about the story of Jonah and his perilous adventures. This incredible voyage that he goes on and the storms at sea and the miracle of God providing a large, huge fish to swallow Jonah and yet spit him out on the land. All of these things are the stuff that capture the imagination of young and old. Matter of fact, some of our children here at FPC have recently been taught by Miss Louise on Wednesday night when she explained about the city of Nineveh and how God had promised it would be destroyed, and eventually it was, and how it was exactly destroyed the way God said it would be, and archaeology has revealed and proved that. Years ago, they said, no, there is no Nineveh. Well, guess what? Like many other things, they found Nineveh. And now the evidence has been discovered and seen that it was exactly as God said it would be destroyed. But some skeptical scholars today consider the book of Jonah a whale of a story. And that's all that it is. Not at all connected to history, but the stuff of legendary material, so they say. To them, it may be interesting, but it's no more true than one of Aesop's fables. Just fantasy with a point of some kind. But you know what? Jesus didn't see it that way. Not at all. Jesus did not think this story was mythical. Listen to what he said in Matthew 12:40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's, that is an analogy. One fact points to another fact. The whole thing gets blown up if it's not real. The analogy totally crashes and burns. Jesus said that happened. He said, just as it really happened, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be. Both in perilous circumstances, but there will be a greater parallel of deliverance to the end of God's purpose. And he said it because that happened, I'm telling you, I'm going to rise from the dead. And that's going to happen too. That's going to be no myth, no fable. And if he didn't believe Jonah's account, he would have totally destroyed his own argument from the lesser to the greater and the corollary. So today, 
I'm introducing an ancient story, but an ancient and true story that gives us a glimpse of many things. One of perhaps the most important is a glimpse of God's heart. To see what is in the mind and heart of God in this little book called Jonah about the journeys of this reluctant prophet of God. And it's my sincere hope that along the way, you and I will learn more about God's heart and about our own. About God's heart and about what we're really like. What we tend to be like because of our sinfulness. So, what's the outline today? This is an introductory. It's an orientation, if you will. Getting oriented. Not a very clever title. Not anything uh, racy about that. But, it's about orientation. Getting some background. Getting some setting. So what are we going to do? Yep, there is, an, there is a, a, an acronym here, though. Three. Three M's. We're going to look at the man, briefly. Then we're going to look at the mission that God sent him on. And then we're going to look at the message. What's this book about? What kind of things does this book speak to? And what relevance and corollaries did he have in our lives? More of that as we open up the book starting next week. But this is the background, and yet I'll try to hopefully make it something that you will appreciate and value. First of all, the man. As we read the scriptures this morning, you saw me reading from 2 Kings, not from Jonah, first of all. Reading from that, that passage in 2 Kings, Jonah's hometown is said to be a place called Gath Hepper. Now, where that was in that time was located in the hill country of the tribe of Zebulun. You remember there were 12 tribes in Israel, the southern uh, tribes of Benjamin and Judah, and then the 10 tri northern tribes, of more of the central and the northern. And this is up in the region of the Galilee. I think we have a uh, graphics there, Paul. Um, and I should have brought the pointer, doggone it. Oh, well. Okay, I'll try to get that in the future because we've got a nice pointer that will work on that. But you see the red dot right there in the middle? Uh, that is basically Gath Heifer. And you see that it's pretty close to over, well, it's, it's backwards for you, but on that side for me, the Sea of Galilee or uh, named different Sea of Tiberias, many things through, throughout history. But that's basically where Jonah is from. That's his place of his birth. And that's about, Gath Hepper is about two miles from present-day Nazareth. So it's very, very close to Mount Tabor, uh, south of it, and then uh, very close to Nazareth in the Galilee region. Now, from our passage in 2 Kings, we learn something else about this man. That Jonah was the son of Amittai. Um, and we would probably, as in our culture, we would say Amittai. We would tend to accent the middle. Well, they always, they always accent the, the Hebrew. It's on the back syllable. It's not Habakkuk, it's Habakkuk. And, uh, and so Amittai, you know, it's, it puts the, the emphasis there. But in 2 Kings 14.25 that we read, at that time in Israel's history, you heard that it said Jeroboam, the son of Joash. This is known as Jeroboam II. Not Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the first Jeroboam, but this is the second one. And 
Israel had been basically following the pattern of sinful kings, and this guy comes right along and goes right on merrily away, still continuing to commit the sins of his predecessors. And yet, God does something amazing in that time. He sends a word, a prophecy, through Jonah, this guy named Jonah. At that time in Israel's history, Jeroboam ruled from 786 to 746 BC. So what we gather from that is most likely that was the time period in which Jonah was ministering as a prophet of God. And he had a previous likely ministry as a prophet of God. The the, uh, calling in the first part of the book is not probably his first rodeo. He has been a prophet of God perhaps for some time. He's a contemporary of Hosea and Amos, two of the other minor prophets. And perhaps, this is really fascinating, perhaps he is one of the sons of the prophets. Do you ever remember that phrase? And if you have any in background, if you've ever read through the Kings, you realize about the ministry of Elijah and then his servant Elisha, Well, these guys kicked off a seminary. It was called the Sons of the Prophets. And they had a lot of young men that were coming in and and were basically learning how to be the servants of God and declare the truth of the Word of God in a very wicked age. And it's very possible that Jonah was, he certainly fits the time frame of that, and he may have been one of these sons of the prophets of Elisha. We don't know that for sure. But it's, it's very interesting. And if so, obviously, he probably had a lot of success in terms of declaring the Lord, word of the Lord before we even get to the book of Jonah where he's featured. Now, when it comes to prophets, a lot of people think about prophets as people who predict the future. Uh, the Old Testament prophets did that sometimes, but that was only an aspect of their ministry. That was not their primary purpose. That served as just a validation an authentication that they were indeed from God and not from some other source. They were primarily to speak the word of God on his behalf when he revealed it to them and then say to whomever he sent them, thus saith the Lord. This is what the God of Israel says. And if they didn't, by the way, Come true what they said, the punishment was, they weren't, they weren't supposed to be allowed to live. If they lied, if they said something was the word of the Lord, and then it didn't come true, they weren't a true prophet. Jonah perhaps had already been and established himself as a true prophet. Seems to be pretty well known. A lot of the introduction is not required. That probably means you, there was a good bit of background awareness of his ministry. So, that's the man. What about the mission? In the opening verses of the book, Jonah's called by God to deliver the message to the great city of Nineveh, which became the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And that later on, that in 722, that Assyrian Empire would ultimately take the northern tribes into captivity under the powerful, gripping might of the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was a city on the eastern bank of the Tigris River that is in modern-day Mosul. I believe we got some slides for that too as well. Now, 
I don't know if you can see, but if, you, uh, if you're looking at the rivers, the Mesopotamia rivers there, up toward the top, you can see Nineveh, one of the top, top uh, in, this, in the, uh, you can see Nineveh, and then, uh, and then you can see below Persia over to, the, to that side in Asia. That, that's the location. It was on the Tigris River. Next slide, Paul. And this is a, a basically a Google Earth uh, picture of old Nineveh still in ruins near Mosul, right across the river from Mosul uh, in Iraq. All right, next slide. Perhaps that's what it may have looked like in its heyday. And you see those two towers on, uh, on again, my side there. There's two towers uh, gated. You see the river running through the city. Now, one last slide, please. That's one of the extant ruins that is still there. You can see how that very much um, uh, depicted. Unfortunately, ISIS got to a lot of precious artifacts and trashed and destroyed them. Um, so, but again, there's a lot we already knew and understood. Hopefully, a lot of things photographed uh, as they continue. By the way, Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild. He set out to rebuild Nineveh. Uh, didn't do, use good construction material. Things were falling apart in 10 years. Uh, bricks weren't crumbling and everything, but he tried. Uh, and uh, we know where that story ended. But um, anyway, so that's Nineveh. This is this great capital of the ancient Assyrian Empire. And these dudes were wicked. They were ruthless. I mean, if you can see, read some of the depictions of what the kings gladly and basically put up on billboards saying, hey, here's what we do to people that we capture and we overcome and defeat. They weren't like the Persians that, that liked to try to assimilate and get the best of both worlds and get back. No, they did some unbelievably gruesome and cruel uh, things to their captives. But yet, that's where God is telling this prophet to go. Now, we have to understand a little bit more of the background to this commission if we want to have a clue as to why Jonah sees this as mission impossible. <laughs> I mean, he absolutely, when God tells him this, he thinks, I, I must have the wrong headset on or, or some, wait a minute, there's some, this, this, somebody might have put a, you know, a bootleg copy of what I'm supposed to be listening. This doesn't sound like God. This doesn't sound like my God when he got the commission. As far as Jonah's concerned, so much so that he might consider and did run off perhaps to the end of the world as he knew it. Certainly a long way away from the direction God was telling him to go. God was telling him to go east, he went west. As fast as he could. Now, why would he do that? I can't go into all the detail, but just get two things here. Remember who this guy was. He was a man of privilege as a prophet of God in a people of privilege. The chosen people of God. In covenant with the Lord God Almighty. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Moses. They were special. And they knew it, and they were sure of it. Also, so he's a, a chosen man within a chosen people. And for the life of him, 
Can't you see how maybe he says, what? What? You're telling me, God, you're supposed to send prophets to your people. I get that. But you're not supposed to send me to the most wicked dudes on the planet. These guys will kill me. These guys are the enemies of our people. You see, Jonah knew the drill when it came to speaking for God with his own people. He could get up and preach fire and brimstone. He could get up and tell them where it's at, like Elijah did. He's, he's in the spirit of that. He knows that. But it really baked his noodle when he was told to go to Nineveh. They were some of the most bloodthirsty, as I said, pagans on the planet. And they were going to get a second chance? Are you kidding me? God's going to give the, something this evil and this wicked, such an empire, such a regime, and he's going to give them a second chance? Jonah has no categories for that. Somebody went in and reversed the polarity on his worldview. You know what happens when you reverse the polarity in an electrical circuit, right? Try sticking a, a screwdriver in uh, the socket and see what happens to you. <laughs> you know, you're going, you're going to get a shock, literally. If it's not wired correctly, and all of a sudden, Jonah's worldview, God's telling him, God, he's saying, God, you reversed the polarity on my worldview. This can't be right. So he does what any rational person would. He heads for the hills in the opposite direction. Probably trying to convince himself that he got a bad copy. He, he got Transmission was, was garbled. What, what, God? Surely you didn't mean that. God, I know you're king, but you, you can't possibly do this. You know what? Jonah's not the first, and he's not and won't be the last to struggle with the incomprehensible ways of a sovereign God, is he? Have you ever struggled with that? If you don't know God is sovereign, if you don't believe that, then you don't believe this book. It's all over the place. God's not a little bit sovereign. He's sovereign. He's in control. He plans the end from the beginning. Now, how we can rationalize and how we fit into all that, that's the stuff where it gets a little bit mysterious. But we don't have to wonder if he's truly sovereign. And yet, sometimes you and I can't figure out how that fits in with our call to evangelize and missions. Jonah's being called to be a missionary here. So he won't be the first one to struggle with that. And he won't be the last. But his response to it was not what it should have been, of course. Now, let's just briefly look at the message. We looked a little bit at the man, the nature of the mission, and now a few thoughts on the message. You know what? In light of what I just said, we could almost give the book of Jonah a subtitle. Evangelism. And the sovereignty of God. Right? Oh, wait a minute. Oops. Spoiler alert. J.I. Packer beat me to it. 
Some of you know that. Some of you don't. Uh, that's a guy who wrote a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, a great theologian, J.I. Packer. Um, and uh, so uh, it has been, that would make a good title in some respects, but there's more here than that. You see, it's not just about sovereignty. This little book is a veritable Swiss Army knife. And you know, kids, what a, what a Swiss Army knife is, right? Uh, those of us that had them when growing up, I guess they still have them around. Seems like you see them in stores. Um, you know, it's got something for almost anything. You can almost, uh, you know, uh, redesign something with a, with a Swiss Army knife. I mean, it's got blades. It's got screws. It's got all kinds of things, uh, openers. It's got something which you can do a lot with. Well, that's kind of like Jonah is. It's a little bitty book. But boy, is it packed with a lot of powerful truth and important messages. And although it's concise... It's capable of carrying a, a rather heavy payload of lessons if we have ears to hear. If we will submit. And you know what? This is one of those books that you just can't speed read through and say, okay, I get it. No, this is one of those books you've got to go back and read it again and say, huh? You, you find yourself doing what Jonah was doing. Because sometimes God's ways don't seem to make sense to us. But it does carry a lot of lessons. Of course, it's about sovereignty. It also carries inherent innately within it a very strong tension between justice and mercy. We struggle with that all the time. We struggle with that in a nation. And it's law. How do you, how do you, how do you fit justice, the need for justice and mercy? Are, are they, are they, are there, was one the, the enemy of the other, or how, how do they fit together? How do these things work together? How can they both be true? But that theme is all under and in this little book. And there are others as well, other themes. Again, I told you, it's about discovering the heart of God. But it's also about discovering your and my own heart. And by looking at Jonah's heart, if we're honest, sometimes we find ourselves saying, you know, makes sense to me, Jonah. I kind of feel, have some sympathy for you. I probably would do that too. Now, that last question, the one I mentioned just a moment ago about justice and mercy, that tension is not answered in this book. It's going to be, going to be there. It's going to present itself if you're reading carefully, you're going to say, yeah, but if he's going to do that for them, then why didn't he, or how come he, uh, God, that's not fair. That's what it's going to feel like at times. But that tension of justice and mercy is not answered in this book. But it points toward the source of its resolution in the future yet to come to them. It's past for you and me now, but for the future yet to come for them. You see, it teaches us to look ahead, of course, to Jesus. I know that's the Sunday school answer for everything. But truly, it does. It forces us. It calls upon us to see where this book, this is one book, not two books. It's, an, it's a Bible. It has an Old Testament. It has promise and it has fulfillment. And so, and, and since everything, Jesus said, these are they that testify of me. 
But we can't just jump, as it were, from one to the other without seeing the pattern, the thread, seeing it laid down piece by piece, understanding where Jonah was in redemptive history. But it is true that ultimately its resolution is found in Jesus Christ. It teaches us to look ahead to Jesus who called himself the ultimate Jonah. Did you know that? In that passage I read to you earlier, Matthew 14, 20, here's the next verse. Jesus said, after I will be, just as it was, Jonah was in the belly well three days, I, the Son of Man, will be also in three days in the earth, basically. And he caught out, he lived to tell, I am going to do the same. Count on it. But then he has a warning. He said, the men of Nineveh will rise up. He's talking to the Pharisees, the ones that hated him and what he had come to do, that thought they were good enough. Don't you remember the, 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 uh, this morning's reflection? Where it's saying basically the problem is we think it's about goodness. No, it's about our need. It's about our not goodness. That's the only thing that can make us be in any way considered good when we admit we can't. But the Pharisees didn't. They thought they were. They thought it was all about them being better than everybody else. And Jesus said to them, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. These evil, wicked people from Nineveh. He says, they will rise up and join the course of condemnation for your generation, the generation that Jesus was ministering to, but who rejected him. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is saying, you're looking at him. I'm the greater Jonah. I am the fulfillment. I will do far and beyond. If you think that was something, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. But baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. You see, it had to be that way so that Jesus could be the ultimate justifier of the one who has faith in him. Romans 3, 26. It was shown, it was to show his righteousness, meaning his work here on earth and his death on the cross was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's the resolution in Christ and in Christ alone. There it is. Jesus did what he did so that those two could kiss and meet. You see, it's only as we grasp the gospel that we will be neither cruel exploiters like Nineveh or pharisaical believers like Jonah. It's the only way that we will not be either controlling, dominating, nor smug and superior. We're either going to insist on trying to get control or we're going to sit back and go, <laughs> trash, scum, we're better. We're the good people. 
The gospel is your only hope to save you from either one of those extremes. There's a lot more here. I can't wait to dive into this book next week. How about you? Pray for me. Pray for yourselves. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you would help us as we seek to understand this little book. But but we'll miss it, Lord. We'll miss what you have for us if we bring our own arrogance and assumptions. I, I know, Lord, you know I need to learn. I need you to teach me and then help me teach your people. Help them learn and and be wise to be in the book themselves. Father, show us the lessons that you have for us in our time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. We pray. Amen.